You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy Good morning. <clears throat> Good to see you today. Um, before we dive in this morning, I want to share it a little bit with you Um we have our Christmas offering, the gift that we will be taking all the way through the end of the year. And I want to give you a word of encouragement uh, to continue, if you haven't already given, to pray about how the Lord might stir your heart to give. Um, just tell you one brief story yesterday in one harvest, and I'm going to give you the short version. But um, <clears throat> we were able to bless a mother of six with a, a box of a Christmas box of food which if you looked and saw that Christmas box of food, you wouldn't have thought a whole lot about it. Um, well, this brought tears when the lady discovered we weren't telling her she could purchase it, but this is yours. And then on top of that, we were able to buy $30, $35 gift cards uh, to Walmart for people who came to One Harvest yesterday. Um, well, that caused this mother of six to erupt. And um, here you have a three-page letter from someone who was blessed in a very, very simple way. Um, but that's part of what our offering does. It helps us not just build houses in Guatemala and take the gospel to India. Yes, it, it does do that. And that's why we pray that we will literally bring in tens of thousands of dollars through this offering. But it also equips us and it, it causes us to be able to help people right here within our own community and even within our own church family. So really pray about how the Lord might stir you to give. Um, he, he, we're always blessed by watching uh, God stir our generosity through this offering. So, well, um, I like music. I don't know if, if you like music the way I do. Uh, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to music. Like I'm the kind of guy, I will literally, if an album comes out, and I still use the word album, uh, I will sit and listen to an entire album with my headphones on to enjoy like musicality. Um, I used to be in a band. I used to write songs. One of the things I love about writing songs is you have a little bit of a license that you don't have in just speaking every day. Um, let me give you a great example. My son and I uh, are in an ongoing, what I will call debate over the fact that there is or there is not a word aeroplane. Because I've tried to tell Nathan, I realize that in class at school, you can't use the word aeroplane. Um, but if I want to write that song, that in a, a song, then I can aeroplane all day long because you have that license. And uh, so we keep kind of going around and round about this. But one of the things I really love with music is misunderstood lyrics. <laughs> and if you grew up in the 80s like me, boy, there was just misunderstood lyrics aplenty. Um, for instance, there are a lot of people that really like that go-go song, Islands of Seals. And then one day realize, oh, it's our lips are sealed. That actually makes a whole lot more sense with the song. Yeah. Um, Jimi Hendrix never encouraged anyone or said, excuse me, while I kiss this guy. He said, excuse me, while I kiss the sky. Uh, okay. I understand Jimmy a little better now. 
Um, that's what those drugs did. Uh, either way there. But misunderstood lyrics are really funny. And a couple weeks ago, I just kind of went and did some homework. And apparently there are some misunderstood lyrics within the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Thought I would share a few of those with you this morning. Um, the first is, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the New York King. Um, This is one of my favorites, God and sinners wrecked a child. (laughs) Hail the Hamburg Prince of Peace. This is another really good one. I want to meet the person that thought this is what it said. Joyful all lean Haitians rise. Of course, most Haitians I've ever met or seen are pretty lean. So that would probably be like all of them. Prison with healing in his wings. Um, And then my favorite, definitely, with the jelly toast proclaim. Well, in in preparing for this morning, I also, a couple weeks ago, I Googled triumph of the skies. What happens if you put in one wrong word is you discover that there's a Chinese TV drama called Triumph in the Skies. And uh, it kind of looks semi-entertaining. I wish I could watch it. I wouldn't be able to understand anything with it. But so you got to be very, very careful that you get all the words right. It's the Triumph of the Skies. So the song says, Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. What is the triumph of the skies? The triumph of the skies is that the son of God has come. The kingdom of God has broken into this place. And because of that, nothing will ever be the same. Heaven has somehow crashed into earth. The son of God's come to reconcile us back to the father. That's the triumph of the skies. So this morning, we're going to look a bit more at the Christmas story and at the very powerful words of this famous Christmas hymn. And as we see them collide together, I'm praying that it will reinvigorate and refresh our hearts to the calling placed on our lives to join in the triumph of the skies. If you'll look with me this morning, we're going to start in Luke chapter 2. A couple of weeks ago, we were at the beginning of Luke 2. Now we're going to move on into the middle of it. In Luke chapter 2, look with me in verse 22. It says, When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, Mary and Joseph, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb will be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. They came to dedicate Jesus and to sacrifice because their firstborn son had been born. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And Joseph and Mary marveled at what was said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So Simeon um, is this probably a priest who... um, Jesus comes, he's been promised by God. He will not die before he sees the Messiah. He's led by the spirit to come to the temple that day. And in come Mary and Joseph and the Lord confirms to Simeon, this is the Messiah. And so Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and he begins prophesying that Jesus will pierce and divide hearts. This child will pierce and divide hearts. And Simeon is filled with joy. He's, he's delivering somewhat of a, um, a, a confusing message. It's not all happy and gleeful. Yet in the midst of it, Simeon is obviously filled with joy because he's seen the fulfillment of the promise that God would send the Messiah and he praises God because of it. You know what Simeon just did? Simeon joined the triumph of the skies. He joined in the triumph of the skies. And in doing so, he prophesies that some are going to join him and others will not. One thing that's very powerful to do at this time of year is to look up a chronological um, sequence of how the Christmas story played out. Because again, in the gospel of Matthew and in the gospel of Luke, you don't have anything that contradicts uh, each other. But what you do have is you have different events that are accounted for and you can lay them down as they unfolded. Well, I want you to look with me. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter two, I want you to look with me at an event that took place after this happened with Simeon. We often, um, especially I know for me growing up, we, I don't know if we did this in an effort to just kind of consolidate everything so that we could celebrate it all at one time, but we confuse things when the wise men show up at the manger. It didn't happen that way. Okay. So look with me in Matthew chapter two, verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born, the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for this child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Herod and the wise men have two completely different responses toward Jesus Christ. The wise men come seeking after the king of the Jews And why are they seeking him? They want to find him. They want to find the Messiah and they want to worship him. They come to join the triumph of the skies. And the scripture says that because of this, when they saw the star, when they found the child, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Herod, on the other hand, is completely undone. Herod's whole life begins unraveling because the mention of another king threatens Herod. The birth of the king of kings spoke peace into people's life like Simeon, like the wise men. Well, this did not speak peace into Herod's chaos. In fact, what this did was this brought chaos into Herod's version of peace. Peace to Herod was to know that there was nothing that was threatening his kingdom. Why is this? Well, because Herod was intoxicated with lust for power. Herod craved the treasure and the power of this world. And the thing about that is you can't passionately pursue the treasure of this world and simultaneously proclaim the triumph of the skies. It doesn't work. You can't seek after, you can't pursue the things of this world and proclaim what's to come in the next. It doesn't work. You can't keep grasping for the temporary and live for the eternal at the same time. But now let's be fair. Simeon said there are going to be those that try. What I don't think any of us would have expected was that Simeon's prophecy would have been lived out This quickly, like, yes, Jesus is going to grow up to be the Messiah and he's going to pierce and divide hearts. Not when he's still a baby, right? Apparently so. Simeon said that there were going to be those who tried to hang on to the temporary and live for the eternal and that they would be undone. And King Herod proves the point. Because if you don't know what happened in the end here, Herod decides, well, because I don't know who this child is, I'll just kill all the firstborn. And Herod goes into the city and has all the male children under two years of age in Bethlehem murdered. To say that 
Jesus divided hearts, to say that he brought division, to say that he would be the falling of many is an understatement. Here's the hard part though. If we're being honest, there are days of our lives when we're Herod. Now, let me back up. Um, I'm hoping and believing none of us in here have ever had anyone murdered. But there are days of our life when we become Herod because what we really, really want is for nothing, God included, to threaten our kingdom that, that we're building. And what Christmas does is it actually forces us to decide my kingdom or God's kingdom. Am I going to live for my kingdom or am I going to live for God's kingdom? Every single one of us, eventually, every, every person in this room, every person that ever lives will eventually fulfill Simeon's prophecy. All of us will. Simeon said, this child will be rejected by many and it will be their undoing, but he will be the greatest joy to many others. We all make a decision at some point. Some people on this earth will make a decision by not making a decision, but we will either accept that Jesus Christ is our hope, is the savior of the world, or we will reject that. The apostle Paul further affirms that Simeon's prophecy is still in effect. And I'd like for you to look at this with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, Paul says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So stop right there for a minute and grab a hold with me of who it is that actually leads us in the triumph of the skies. It's Christ. Let me read it again. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Christ is the one who leads us in bringing glory and honor to God. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, we are the fragrance of death. But to the other, we are the fragrance of life. And I love Paul asked this question, who is sufficient for these things? Who, of, who among us is worthy to actually be a part of this? But Paul says that in Christ, wherever we go, he uses us to tell others about the Lord. That's how God uses us and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a fragrance presented by Christ to God. But this fragrance is it's perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, the only way I really know how to put it is 
We are the fearful smell of death and doom. You didn't know that's how you smelled, did you? Because for someone, and I'm not talking about someone who's never heard the name of Christ, but to someone who has rejected Jesus, we are the stench of death. We are the reminder that there is life and that they have chosen death. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving fragrance, perfume, aroma. When Jesus is our salvation, our lives become this sweet aroma of worship to God. When Jesus is our joy, what happens is that there's this stirring within us to join in the triumph of the skies. The word joy, it's hard to really define what we mean by joy when we talk about it in the sense of this thing that we have in Christ. But joy is this steadfast emotion that we feel, but it's also somewhat of a decision It's an overwhelming peace and hope that you have that circumstance does not affect. And so for us to use the word happiness is quite insufficient because my happiness and your happiness, it's like a wave on the ocean. It goes up and down. It's like a leaf in the wind. Anything and everything can affect our happiness, but you can't touch my joy because it's rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. But then there's this other more like churchy word that we don't walk around using. If you use this word, I dare you to use it at work tomorrow. You'll get somebody looking at you funny. Jubilation. Hey, did you guys experience any jubilation this weekend? Uh, No, I didn't. Well, that's because you don't understand jubilation. Jubilation is the outpouring and the manifestation of joy. So, Hang with me here. Why do we sing what we sing? Joyful, all ye nations rise. Well, if you know Jesus, I don't care what nation, race, tongue you're from. Then you with the angels and me with the angels, we join in the triumph of the skies. What happens is that joy that we have in Christ, it turns into jubilation. And I can't help but let it out. This is what Peter and John say after they attempt to silence them in Acts chapter four. We'll let you go, but as long as you just agree not to go out and talk about Jesus anymore. Well, sorry. Um, We'll let you decide if it's your decision or God's decision, uh, whether or not we're going to shut up, but we won't shut up because we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. We have the opportunity when Jesus is our joy for our lives to be this sweet aroma of Christ to God and to those seeking him. The scriptures are filled with the triumph of the skies. And and it sounds different all throughout. But maybe this morning, maybe the this morning the Lord will give us a little bit of a renewed view of of what that looks like. See, I believe that 
Apostle Paul is joining in the triumph of the skies in Romans 6, 23. When Paul says that the wages of sin is death. But listen to me, listen to me, Romans. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he goes on in Romans 10, 13, and he says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He joins in that triumph. You know, Paul says to us that Jesus it is the one that leads us in triumph. It's crazy that Jesus does that. He's the one that gave us the opportunity to even join in. And now he still leads us. And when we understand that Jesus is God, he's leading us into understanding that he's the only one worthy of our praise. But I think that Jesus joined the triumph of the skies in John 16, 33, which we read last week, when he said, the world, in this world, you are going to have trouble. You are going to have tribulation. It's going to come against you. It's going to come down on top of you. The world is going to pound you. But take heart, I have overcome the world. How is that not the triumph of the skies? Second Corinthians, if you're still there, if you just turn the page over into chapter four, here's Paul again. Paul had a habit of joining in the triumph of the skies. In second Corinthians chapter four, verse 16, he says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, these light and momentary troubles that we face are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says, we've stopped grasping, we've stopped pursuing the treasure of this world so that we can proclaim the triumph of the skies. We've stopped grasping for the temporary because it's just going to slip right through our fingers. We've stopped grasping for that so that we can live for the eternal. It's crazy to think, but a man named Job joined the triumph of the skies before the Messiah ever even came. If you look with me in Job chapter 19, and you take into account that this man has lost his family, he's lost everything he owns. And so in the midst of his sorrow and his suffering and the physical pain that he's enduring, in Job 19:25, he says, "For I know that my redeemer lives, and in the end he will stand on the earth." And after my skin has been destroyed, my skin it, it's going to it corrode and waste away, yet in my flesh I will see God. I will see him for myself. My eyes will behold him, not somebody else sharing with me about him. I will see God. My heart faints within me. There's some triumph from the skies going on there. In Revelation chapter 21. 
John says in verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the host of angels proclaim, the Son of God has come and nothing will ever be the same. The Prince of Peace has come so that you and I might have life. The Son of Righteousness has already risen with healing in his wings. And not only has he come, the King of Kings is coming again. And so let's join the triumph of the skies this Christmas and, and every day for that matter. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we ask you to protect our hearts from being like Herod. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that you will not only loosen our grip on our kingdom, that you'll just help us to let go. God, that our lives might be spent for you, seeking you, praising you, waiting for you. Lord, we pray that you would make us like Simeon. Lord, that our lives would be lived with longing and anticipation for you. God, that our lives would be filled with hope. Lord, we pray that you would make us more like Paul today. Lord, we pray that you would just do whatever you need to do to bring us to the end of our pursuit of the temporary. Lord, this morning we pray for our brothers and sisters who are walking through these momentary but sometimes weighty burdens. Lord, we pray this morning that your spirit would bring comfort. But Lord, we also pray that you would, you would bring that comfort and you would bear that burden through us, through your people, through the body of Christ. change the way we see this world 
change the way we think about this life. Lord Jesus, we praise you this morning because you have changed everything. We praise you because we know that one day you will make all things new. You are Prince of Peace. You are King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're the only one worthy of our praise. In just a moment, as we respond to God, um, we have the opportunity not only to sing and declare the praise of our Lord this morning, but to take communion. And if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, just encourage you that whether you come um, alone or with a friend or with your family, that you take the bread and you take the cup and you take moments to remember that Jesus willfully laid down his life, that his body was broken, his blood was poured out so that you and I might have life. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to remember If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, some of our pastors, elders, leaders are gonna be in the back of the tables. They would love to share with you what it means to put your faith and trust in Christ, to pray with you. Don't miss the opportunity in these moments to obediently, faithfully respond to Jesus Christ. praise you and lift you up. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.